As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. In light of the novel coronavirus pandemic, Food Without Borders is airing At the Table, a special interview series with journalists, chefs, farmers, activists, and business owners navigating the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. This series was originally recorded for MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. If you'd like to watch the online video version of these interviews, please visit www.mofad.org backslash online dash video dash series. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everyone, this is Sari Kamen, the Public Programs Manager at MOFAD. Thank you so much for tuning in to At The Table, our online video series about the impact of COVID on the food and hospitality industry. Today, I am so happy to be speaking with Liz Peralta. She is the executive director of the National Supermarket Association. So hello, Liz, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm really happy to be on your show. Um, I love your museum and what it does, especially to empower not only people and food, but Brooklyn people. Um, I think that the museum is in such a great location. It's an honor to be on here today. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It's, it's an honor to be in conversation with you. Um, so why don't you start off by telling us uh, what the National Supermarket Association does and who you are? Yeah, so the National Supermarket Association is a trade association um, that represents over 650 supermarkets in the tri-state area. We also have 100 in North Carolina, and we have another chapter in Florida, which by the end of the year, we're hoping to expand our stores from about 50 to 100 there as well. Um, what we do and what makes us special is that we're 99% Latino owned. Um, so um, we're, our supermarkets are independent supermarkets, which means that they're owner operators. So unlike a huge chain, there's no corporate that they refer back to. They are logistics, they are operations. They are running the stores. Um, and so NSA serves as a way to help lobby for um, WIC or food stamps or anything that these supermarkets um, owners might need for their communities. 
Um, and we also protect them from, you know, um, fines that might be unfair, uh, litigations, um, because a lot of these members are first generation and they need a, um, a stronger voice to represent them in their communities. Um, and the other thing about the NSA that's unique is that, and this will sort of tie in like who we are. So the NSA was born 30 years ago. Um, a lot of our members who, are, who have been here for the 30 years, they come from Dominican Republic, they're um, farmers, they're um, small town businessmen who came to America and they really had a dream to make something here. And so a lot of them either owned bodegas or they were stock boys in supermarkets. And over time, things kind of transformed and they were passed down a supermarket or they bought a supermarket. Um, but those who were bodega owners, what they noticed was that um, 30 years ago, Pathmark was given a huge grant to come into New York City because there was food deserts all over, but they weren't successful. And so all the Pathmarks in New York City were shut down. Um, and so what ended up happening was that these bodega owners got together and they said in the basement of the founding president's house, and they said, we're bodegas and we don't have enough space to service people in food, what you would call a food desert. So we need to start creating supermarkets to bring fresh produce, groceries. And at the same time, if we have independent supermarkets, we should um, we will be able to bring the nostalgic brands that our consumers love. So like we'll be able to import export things. And so it was born out of the desire to be part of the community and service the community. Um, and from there, they were like, we need to create an association because we need people to um, represent our rights. And um, in the middle of that, they kind of were like, wait, how can we create an association to help us if we're not creating an association that will help the communities that we're in? And so that's why our nonprofit was started, which is NSA Cares, which gives about $2.5 million in scholarships to students in the communities that our supermarkets are in. And we do food drives, toy drives, um, and a lot of other things. NSA is perfect. The way that I like to describe it is it's really like the immigrant American dream. Um, people who came here who wanted to build something. And once they built it, they understood that part of this mission was to give back what they had received. And so I think that perfectly describes what the NSA is. Great. Um, can you just explain, uh, I guess I'm, I'm just curious about like a bodega versus a supermarket. Are there bodegas? Because, you know, they're so obviously prolific in, in New York City. Are they considered supermarkets under the definition of NSA or is that like an entirely separate entity? So it's separate, but the way that we like to say it is that the Bodega Association, they're like our younger brother or sister mm. because a lot of our members started off with bodegas and then they heard of the NSA and they started coming to our meetings because we're a membership-based organization. And so a lot of bodega owners use the NSA as like a clutch to build their own supermarkets to take it from bodega to supermarket um, and expand because for them, they see it as a resource um, to help get like the proper loans. Um, a lot of people don't know that getting a supermarket is a huge endeavor. And if you don't have the right con like connections or people helping build your platform, you might take out a loan that is just so expensive and unrealistic and paying back. And so we kind of accommodate our membership for the best um, easy access to everything they need to start their own supermarkets. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. And the reason, you know, I really wanted to talk to you today is because you're sort of here representing the voices of the essential workers who are on the front lines as they are, you know, um, 
in our grocery stores right now and don't have the option of staying home from work. And there's so many layers of challenges that the workers are facing right now because of the COVID uh, pandemic that we're all dealing with. Can you just speak to like some of the, the various challenges that your workers are facing? Yeah, I mean, to just start off very simply, I think um, the first thing is that most of our supermarket owners have not been home um, in, in since this started. And I think it was a personal decision, but it was the right personal decision. So um, they have self-quarantined themselves from their families, um, a lot of them, because we have a membership chat. They say every night, like, please say a prayer for my family. I haven't seen my kids in a month. And all I can um, keep looking forward to is when this is all over and I can embrace my family. Yeah. So that's just like wholeheartedly um, the struggle that I I have to face and see and hear. Um, and so that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is just um, know that this is one, but there's just not enough PPE out there. Um, and you have to think that like a doctor, um, a hospital, a clinic, they have a budget that allocates for, you know, PPE. We do have a budget like for masks and gloves, but they're for specific departments that need that all the time. Really true. We want to take care of our employees and we have to purchase PPE out of our own pockets, which then cuts the cost that we make to make ends meet. Um, a lot of the things that are happening right now, like for example, the price gouging, it's just simple demand um, economics, demand supply economics. And we wish that there was just like a better communication with the consumer to help them understand that because me being on their end, I would feel the same way. But since I have the resources to educate myself, I can say, oh, this is not the supermarket owner's fault. It's just the demand supply. Um, I think other things that we're facing is that although people um, want to come together in this time to keep everyone safe, I think that oftentimes we're careless unknowingly. So you'll go to a supermarket, you'll wear gloves, you'll wear a mask. And when you leave, you'll just take your, your gloves and toss them on the floor. Um, I know it's not devious or like trying to cause harm, but these small little actions that we take for granted come a long way because that means that one less employee has to go out there and pick up gloves that may have the virus on them or whatever it is. But um, it's these little actions that will help us um, help the consumers as well. Wait, what, pe- what do you mean? People throw their gloves on the floor of the supermarket? So basically, like as soon as you leave the supermarket or if there's a parking lot, you could just go and you'll see that there's it's like a graveyard to gloves of people who have shopped at the store and left or like the most common thing you'll see on our members people post it every day like this is what i had to clean up in my parking lot and what you'll see is um in the parking lot where the 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 spaces are right next to the driver's side you'll see like gloves on the floor and so like our supermarket employees will have to go and pick them up and again this is not pointing fingers i think it's just like careless actions that we don't think i think that if i was the on the other end I would be like, oh, I'm taking these gloves off now so that I don't spread the germs to my house. Yeah, but I mean, you would think there would be some thoughtfulness. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Wow, that's, that's really surprising. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. not. I mean, you would think <laughs> that if people are putting the gloves on in the first place, like they're having a little bit of an understanding, like why they're putting it on and that would carry through, you know. Yeah, there's a couple things. So the first thing um, I want to talk about is the mayor just made this huge announcement about um, requiring 
are asking customers to cover their face when they come into stores. And we're a thousand percent behind this. I think the struggle that we're having now is who's going to enforce this? Because we're already dealing with customers who think that we're price gouging, customers who are upset because stores are not um, stocked to the capacity for them to get um, information and stuff, or sorry, to get their supplies. And so this is just like another added thing that we have to worry about. And I know that the mayor said that NYPD will help us enforce it. But at the end of the day, when a customer comes to our store and they're upset, they don't think of the governor or the mayor, they think of the store owner. Yeah. Um, and and that that is what worries us. Um, and um, another thing that I forgot to bring up before, which is like a huge issue, is that robberies have increased at supermarkets. So in the last couple of weeks, we've had people who, it sounds like it's straight out of a horror movie or a spy movie, but people have literally climbed roofs of our supermarket, cut the ceilings out and broken in. What? And um, I think, uh, yeah, exactly. Like uh, one of our members showed us pictures of like cutting of the roof, breaking of the door. Um, and like, I think that one week we had like half, or, like more than half a million dollars stolen collectively oh from um, a, a majority of our stores. And so like, I think that a lot of people think, oh, these guys are making a profit and they're making money. But what the public should understand is that we're make, we're just making ends meet. Because if you think that we're increasing eggs um, that usually are like one ninety nine, it's because we buy them at a price that's so affordable. But now eggs, I think like a pallet of eggs that, let's just give a, an imaginary figure, would usually cost like $2 for the pallet is now costing 60 which means that we have to increase um, the price to make ends meet. So if anything, if this conversation can help people understand anything, is that it's not price gouging. It's just there's such a demand because people are scared. So if we can collectively uh, help each other, like shop for what you need, um, don't overshop. Um, we're not closing anytime soon. All the conversations we have with the city and state, their main objective is to make sure that our stores stay open. Right. So if we can all just shop for what we need, we can try to lower the demand, which will then lower the prices. And the other thing we really worry about um, women and children. So when March 1st, May 1st, April 1st comes, please um, be aware to shop for things um, that are not WIC or food stamps. Because the other major problem that's happening now is that the virus is spreading, The vi we're trying to flatten the curve, but these like legal aid um, companies, they haven't adjusted like the price of eggs. So a mom who usually would have allocated like $1.99 for eggs, Eggs are $6. They need to adjust these things. So if you're taking the last, last box of cornflakes that they qualify, who's going to sp split the difference? Obviously, I think the government is working hard to fix that. But in the meantime, we can all do our part by being hyper aware of what is for food stamps and WIC to help these people that don't have the resources to hire a lobbyist. And we're doing that, like fighting for those people on our end. Yeah. Um, so how do people know what foods uh, are designated for people, you know, who get who get WIC benefits or SNAP benefits? So usually um, on store shelves, like I know that our supermarkets will have it labeled like this is a WIC or food stamps. But for basic needs, like think of like uh, cornflakes or um, anything that doesn't have sugar. So like not frosted flakes, but like the generic version of that. That would be something milk, eggs, like things that are... Um, simple generic things that like are healthy so the WIC and food stamp programs are, are programs generated to help women um, 
keep their kids healthy and safe. So think of anything that's nutritious and low in sugars. And if you have a question, like if you're shopping and you're like, hey, is there a wick? You can ask because we will point out everything. Um, And a lot of our stores are also um, doing, if you feel like you're doing shopping and you want to pick up 10 items for someone in need, you can purchase them and then we'll create goodie bags and give them out to people in the community who need them. Um, okay. Uh, that's great to know. So what's, what's the window that people should avoid shopping if they're not someone who uh, relies on snap or Wix? I think that like the first, what we always say, the first week of the month is when most families get their snap and Wix, and that's when they're shopping. Um, and, um, that's usually after like the second week, whatever's on the shelf is usually pretty good. Um, but yeah, that's really it. The first two weeks is when you should be really worrying about people who can't afford these yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and kind of to your point about uh, over shopping or buying more than you need, you know, I think it's kind of difficult sometimes to sort of figure out like in this moment what the best way to approach shopping is because people feel pressure to, you know, overbuy because they don't want to go to the supermarket as regularly as they would have because they're trying to avoid, you know, going out. Um, so what's, how do we balance that? How do we make sure like we're getting what we need, but also taking, you know, keeping in mind the fact that we're supposed to stay home and avoid, you know, shopping as much as we normally would? Yeah, I mean, I struggle with the same thing. I, I grew up with like a single mom who part of like her journey to deal with eight kids was taking us all to the supermarket and calming us down. Um, so I'm very used to shopping every day. But one of the things that my fiance and I have been working on is that we'll make like a weekly list and we'll say like, Hey, um, we should take an account, like three meals, four meals, whatever. And I think that if you can go into a supermarket with a list and get what you need, it kind of helps you avoid over shopping. The other thing is um, a lot of our supermarkets and you can go on nsaglobal.org. We have a map up there. We're doing like delivery or we're doing curbside pickup. So if you feel like you want to avoid lines or not get the virus, um, you can, you can call in and take those orders. And most of them are free for within their neighborhoods that they're in. Um, And I just think that the best way to reduce shopping is, try to do what you normally do but keep in mind that you should try to go to your supermarket maybe once a week as opposed to three times a week mm-hmm. um and i think this is the best time ever to be creative like mm-hmm. um the other day uh, i didn't want to leave my house because i was like oh maybe it's rainy and all these different things and me and my fiance just opened our cabinets and we were like hey like what can we make with this and i think that your museum website is a great resource as well because there's so many things that you can navigate through through to like do creative things so i think it's a good good time to be creative you know we also do a, a weekly instagram live pantry challenge uh on friday so people can email us and tell us what they have in their pantries and our chef will tell you what to make see that's amazing (laughs) and like i think that those are the things that bring joy to even our grocery workers like knowing that museums like this exist to highlight and to just give people the i don't know the beauty of what it means to be a grocer or to be a cook or just to rethink about our careers and how we do them yeah Um, yeah i also i forgot so a lot of people so resources just because i know there's people, senior hours, autoimmune compromise. So um, I did want to talk a little bit about NSA on our website. We do have designated senior hours at stores. We have this beautiful partnership with Lyft. 
So if you are senior or autoimmune compromised, you can shop at um, our stores from 6.30 to 9.30 a.m. and you'll get a free ride to the selected stores. Wow. Um, and so we're really proud of that. And That's it's amazing. just NSA relief on the Lyft app. Um, the other thing that we're working on is we're working with Bronx Mutual Aid. Um, so a lot of people are asking like, who has the most need? And what the data is showing us is that the Bronx, the South Bronx, mm. um, and what I want people to understand is that part of it is, yes, that's where there's a lot of poverty, but that's also where a lot of like undocumented individuals go. And so the resources that maybe the New York state offers or has, they don't necessarily qualify for them because they're undocumented. And so what NSA, since we're sort of born from immigrants, what we're doing is we're focusing our efforts in the South Bronx first. Um, and so we're doing a pilot program where we're going to be giving vouchers to those people in need to shop at our select South Bronx stores. And then what our members are doing is that if the company, Bronx Mutual Aid gives a voucher for a hundred, we're matching that voucher for another family in the area. Um, and on top of that, we're partnering with people like Goya Foods to give little bundles of uh, food to different community centers throughout Bro Brooklyn, Manhattan and all the boroughs. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, so what, what are, what are you doing and, um, your colleagues doing to support your workers in grocery stores right now who, you know, like you said, are dealing with the challenges of now having to, um, exercise authority for people who are not necessarily wearing masks in their stores or who are confronted with people who are angry at them because they feel like they're price gouging. Like what sort of advisories and, and resources are you giving them to help deal with these challenges? So one thing that I am thankful for is that we have our membership chat. So you could text me at one o'clock in the morning and I would be available. But I think that um, one of the ways that we are pro proactive to protect our membership is that since the beginning of this, we've actually been one of the main contacts to the city and the state. So the plexiglass that went up in a lot of supermarkets that you see now, we sort of forefronted that because our stores in Florida do that during hurricane season. Um, we have been providing masks and gloves to all our employees. And because we're such a large, just be able to get like a better deal for our members um, on, the, on the prices of the masks. Um, other things that I know our supermarkets are doing is that if you're sick, they're paying for you to stay home, you know, like out of their own pocket, they're saying, stay home. We don't want you to feel like you need to come to work because you need to pay your bills. We're here for you. Um, from the beginning to the end. Um, another thing that we're doing is that I know a lot of our stores are taking the temperature of every employee before they come in in the morning. So it's kind of like a check-in. Like if you're sick, you're going to have to turn, like, turn around and go home. Um, and then one thing I will say is that over the last couple days, elected officials have been showing up at our stores and giving like lunch to our essential workers. And that's been really helpful. But I think the best thing that the NSA does is that we are a resource. Um, whenever there are updates, we send them to our membership as soon as possible. Um, if inspectors, because there are some inspectors who have gone into stores and tried to find us for like the bottle machines not working, but we took an action and we decided to close them down because why would I do a bottle recycling service so that I could continue to spread a disease? Right. Um, and so we fight those uh, bills sometimes um, police officers unknowingly show up to stores and tell us that we need to close X, Y, or Z or change X, Y, and Z. And so our um, members call our legislative team and we'll take care of issues like that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're 
basically like another arm for our membership, but we're also another arm for our community because our members will call us and say, uh, so-and-so, um, like the food stamps, there's like the Emphamil milk, which is like the milk, the breasts, if you can't breastfeed, mm-hmm. you have the little cans of powdered milk. Our members will say like, this stock has decreased and so families can't get this. And so we'll call the city or state and we'll work on like how to create better logistics to get these things that families need. Um, and so I think that that's, we try to be involved as much as possible, but we can't always be, be there. Cause right. Yeah. You do the best you can. Yeah, we do the best we can. Yeah. Um, so how can people in the community, not people who are members of the NSA or, you know, people on your team, how can we best support you and how can we best support the workers that you are advocating for and representing? Yeah, so I mean, a couple things are if anyone has resources for PPE, um, a lot of our supermarkets are fortunate enough to have money to pay for their staff. Some of our supermarkets are brand new and they're, they're like, when you think of independent supermarkets, think of mom and pops. So some of them are like startups that just opened and they're struggling for resources. So if anyone has contacts for uh, donated supplies, please email you know staff.nsaglobal at gmail.com. Um, and the other thing is that we also have a fund, um, and we're going to be sharing a link on our website pretty soon, but it's just like a GoFundMe charity, um, because most of our members are saying, all we want the public to do is be gracious and thankful. Um, please don't come to our stores and yell at us before you call your local media agency and, you know, accuse someone of price gouging, call us because we will tell you straight up, like we'll give you receipts, we'll show you. But more importantly, what they're saying is that we have resources, um, continue to shop local. And if you can donate to our GoFundMe page, because every extra dollar that we have, we want to give back to the communities who need it most. So the best way you can continue to help us is shop local today, tomorrow, and even after the coronavirus. And um, I guess the last thing I'll say is that please remember that we're not um, big box stores. Um, I think that Donald Trump spoke a lot on his press conferences, like big box stores and Walmart and all this stuff. We're not big box. And if you think of New York City, there are very few big box stores. And so we're really toughing it out. And so when this all goes back to normal, please shop wherever you want, but consider shopping more at your local supermarket. Because what we're most worried about is that when this is all over, our um, margins will be so messed up because there's such an influx. And so the supermarkets will actually, they're worried about going out of business because people are not going to shop like this after this all ends. But maybe together we can gain momentum and encourage people to shop local and we won't have to fear that. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone listening, please, please be kind to the workers out there. They're working so hard and, and sacrificing so much by distancing themselves from their families and making sure that we all get fed right now. So Elizabeth, I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time. It was so eye opening to have this conversation with you. And I mean, on behalf of MoFAD, thank you so much to all the workers that you represent and um, all the essential workers out there. Thank you so much for your sacrifice and for what you're doing right now. Um, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, you know, please just continue to, to stay safe and, and stay well. And that's it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. This program is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast. 